Hello and welcome to episode 146 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox with me in Vienna, Virginia. Welcome back, Ben Olson. How was the beach, Ben? Oh, it was very nice. It was uh, warm and there weren't a lot of people on the beach where we were at, which was nice too. So, Excellent. Well, I hope you're refreshed and ready to go. We have a uh, special episode of the show today since uh, you, Ben, are going to finally experience the misery of Halo Top. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should make this a fair experiment. So I'll go into it with an unbiased uh, assessment. I'm going to experience Halo Top and see what happens. Okay. And which which flavor? You have it right there in front of you. You're going to eat it right now on the air? Sure. I can eat it right now or we can uh, do the in teaser if you want to. But the um, I have black cherry. Black cherry. Okay, beautiful. Oh, we should uh, definitely talk about our class that is going to happen in New York City on July 14 and 15. That class is filling up now, Ben? That's right. Yeah, registration. Yeah, registration on the website, uh, thinkinglsat.com, and you can register for our class July 14, 15. It's going to be both of us teaching our asses off in New York City, and it should be, I think, great fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We're going to work our way through prep test 84. That's going to be exciting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brand brand new brand new test that has never been seen before by either of us. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, and uh, we're going to do a full weekend of instruction, New York City, July fourteenth and fifteenth. So please register. Yeah, and if you can come up the night before, we'll hang out with you. Yeah, we're going to hang out Friday night. That's going to be fun. We're going to definitely have some. Uh, well, I am going to be having some cocktails. Yeah, and uh, I'll try whatever we'll, you tell me to. <laughs> You're going to try whatever? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, this just got a whole lot more exciting. <laughs> I, <clears throat> I can't wait. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Yeah, I'm going to get there early now. I'm going to be well, ready to so go. I will tell you that uh, on Tuesday, after the June LSAT, we gathered. Did I tell you this? We we went to some bar here in D.C., and I was uh-huh. telling everybody, I'm like, Look, I don't drink that much, but you, you tell me what you like, and I'll try it. And, um, yeah, it was... It, People had a lot of suggestions. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I saw a picture on Facebook. You had a big group. How many people were there? Uh, I think that probably twenty to thirty people rolled in and out throughout nice. the night. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice, dude. That's that's fun. I should do some stuff like that. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And then of course everybody wanted me to buy them a round of shots or whatever. So. <laughs> That was fun as well. Yeah, it was good. Excellent. Yeah, I Excellent. toasted to the LSAC. Everybody else is like, no, what the hell are you doing? I was like, I don't know, why not? <laughs> Our LSAC overlords. Yeah, that's right. Um, we have to show yeah. respect at some point. Cool. Okay, um, we have a whole bunch of listener emails that we're going to get through, uh, news stories, the usual deal. But uh, before we do that, we have 567 members now in the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. Thanks again to Annalisa Palmer for uh, setting up that group, which has blown up beyond her uh, wildest expectations. We have oh, and 22... I say, by the way, oh. sorry to interrupt. Uh, when you so that's a closed group, so you have to uh, you know request to join, and then you have to answer these questions that Nathan came up with, which is like, uh, do you like Halo Top or something like that? How many episodes have you listened to, and what score did you get? Or I can't remember what your questions were, but I've seen some of the answers to those questions, and some people don't answer them, which is strange, and so you wonder if this person is just trying to get in the group. But a lot of people um, 
Yeah, they don't really answer the question. Just just answer the question. <laughs> it would if help you answer the question, then we'll know yeah. that you're not a robot. Yeah, and we'll know you're not a you know like <clears throat> Russian scammer or something, and we will admit you to the group. If you don't answer the questions, then it seems like you're not actually a listener of the show, and then you know, fuck off. Yeah. Um, okay, so please join the podcast group uh, and you guys can talk about whatever y'all want to talk about. Uh, 22 patrons on Patreon are now donating $112 every month. So that number continues to slowly creep up. We really appreciate every supporter we get. Um, ben, I don't know. You probably didn't listen to the last episode, my uh, solo effort, which I don't blame you for not listening. <clears throat> I, that, don't, but I, I don't really ever listen, so I'm sorry. But I, I actually was thinking about making the effort to listen to that since yeah. I was absent. It's okay. It's it's not going to break my heart if you don't listen to it. But um, <laughs> one thing that I I did uh, mention in the show, which I wanted to give, I, I thought you might get a chuckle, is that we got an email from a listener who was um, agitated that we kept saying patrons and that wanted to educate us about how to properly pronounce uh, the word patron. Oh yeah, and, well that's uh, entirely my fault. <laughs> 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 but that's never going to change now. That's uh, that's part of the part of the show now. So you know, have, it's so funny. Patreon. You say it so often. Uh, I mean, every time at the beginning of the show now that it's it's hard for me to think of the real way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, going to catch on. That's going to be well, y'all. I don't know if you've noticed, but y'all is really catching on. It is. Everybody's saying y'all now all the time, mm-hmm. which is money. That's really great. It's so much better than you guys. Yeah. Yeah. You guys is already like gendered and everything, right? So y'all is way better. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Um, you can email the show. We love to hear from you. Uh, that's help at thinkinglsat.com. I wonder if uh, Matt already put that at the top of the website or not. I was yelling on the last episode telling Matt to put it at the top of the website um, because we we got multiple emails last week with people saying, hey, I don't know how to email the show, which really? is strange. I feel we like do we get mention a lot of emails. it every time. Yeah. Well, we do when we remember, but um, it needs to be more prominent, I think, on uh, thinkingelsat.com. So maybe <clears throat> maybe Matt can put that on the top of the uh, site. So thanks, Matt. Uh, you can visit strategyprep.com and foxelsat.com if you want to learn more about our services, including live classes in D.C., taught by Ben Olson, and live classes in Los Angeles and San Francisco, taught by me. Um, we also, each of us, we both have uh, online and one-on-one options and um, oh yeah, we have a personal statement review package, which uh, you can learn about on thinkinglsat.com as well. If you would like to have uh, Ben and I both help you with your personal statement. Um, all right, are we ready for the big Halo Top experiment? Yeah, sure. Let's give it a go. Okay, you have um, Black Cherry Halo Top. I want to hear this. Let's hear. It. Let's hear it. Yeah. So when I was in the store, I saw Halo Top and I was like, oh yeah, I should buy some so I can try it out since Nathan hates it more than um you know lucifer himself so mm-hmm. i chose black cherry because i'm one of those people who likes uh i guess fruit flavored ice cream um mm-hmm. particularly raspberry or whatever so not mm-hmm. strawberry strawberry is fine but it seems kind of boring um, I even have some black raspberry ice cream here that's actual ice cream, so we can do a mm. little comparison. But anyways, I'll start with this Halo Top. It's never been opened. Oh, okay, okay. I see here. So now this is a pint. It looks like ice cream, right? It looks... It, it well, appears- I haven't even... Okay, so I took off the lid. 
Uh-huh. And I haven't even opened. There's like a seal on the top. Okay, right. And it says, "I'm cold. Let's spoon." Oh, that's so clever. Wow. Um, okay, and I'm pulling off this. Wow, it makes it look fancy. Okay, so you have to. You have a lid, and then you have a lid underneath it. Right. I have to clean this spoon off of the real ice cream so I don't get tricked. But yeah, it's a pint, and it looks like looks like real. It ice appears cream. to be actual ice cream, but it's a lie. Okay. So I'm, I'm right, now you're gonna you're gonna have a bite of this black cherry halo top fake ice cream. Yeah, so here we go. Well yeah, that's that's strange. <laughs> I, I no, I was gonna I'm not just saying that because like you want me to shit on this. I was like, okay, I actually expected it to be more real than this. Um, and I figured I was going to push back on you and just say, well, you're just complaining. Um, that is bizarre. It's garbage. It's, it's not fit for human consumption. It's, well, I don't know what it is. It's just, I want to make not ice cream. It's just what it, it, it's just not ice cream. Okay. So here's the thing. I, I've been, I, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but I went and I bought a delightful, you know those tiny mini Ben and Jerry's pints? You know, yeah, yeah. A pint. It's like the same form factor of the pint, but it's just a miniaturized one. Yeah, yeah. So I'm holding in my hand a tiny little pint of Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia ice cream. Oh, Cherry Garcia, that's and, my, one of my favorites. Yeah, okay. I know. Uh, that's why Shit, I got how did, it. We need to change places right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now I'm eating. I'm enjoying a delightful bite of actual real ice cream. This is Ben and Jerry's Vermont's finest cherry Garcia ice cream, and I'm here to tell you that it is fucking delicious, Ben. <laughs> well, I know and that. you are eating pure <laughs> sadness, and I'm eating pure joy. Hold on, I mm. gotta take one more bite of this because I want to see if mm. it's really as bad as I initially thought. Um, can we read? I want to read the oh um, nutrition facts. On the side of your fake pint of oh, ice cream, it's because so bad. It's I don't know how to describe. It. It's like a fake sweet. Yeah, it's just, it's just I don't know what it is. And it's got a lingering I, aftertaste. This is sugar alcohol. I see what you're about to read. Well, I, I what I really am interested in because I have a this is what is this? This is four ounces <clears throat> of ice cream. Yeah, it's just a tiny little cup. Okay, it's just a beautiful little like one one tiny scoop of ice cream. Right, four ounces of ice cream. Yeah, and it has two hundred and sixty calories. Mm. How much? You've got a whole pint. Yeah, of fake bullshit, and I'm guessing it probably has about the same, like two hundred calories. No, it's seventy. No, wait, sorry, no, no. Let's see. There's four. Yeah, so seventy times four, so two eighty. So, so two eighty. So, it's it's essentially the exact same calories. You could eat that entire thing of just sugar air. Yeah. And you could be sad as you're just devouring this whole thing, this whole big thing of sadness. Yeah. Or you could have a just a delightful little civilized small thing. I can't tell you how good this is. It's so good. It's creamy and it has chunks of chocolate and cherries in it. It's excellent, dude. So wait, this this on the side it says contains seven. seven this is like a warning. It's all in all caps. Contains <laughs> seventy calories compared to two hundred and five calories in quote regular ice cream. Why don't they just say in ice cream? <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Dude, I gotta I gotta get this out of here. So I have no, um, I have some regular ice cream here, so I can recover. Yeah, let's let's come on. We we don't want you to be depressed while you do the show. Well, I don't think it was affecting my mood. Thank you, mm. but <laughs> it might have if I had to keep eating it. That was fake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, this ice cream. The funny thing about the ice cream I'm eating right now is that it's black raspberry. So it's not a perfect comparison. It's not black cherry, but um, mm. it's like your you know generic store brand. It's like what's mm-hmm. the cheapest real ice cream in the store? Mm-hmm. That's what I got here, and it's good. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't even need the Ben and Jerry stuff, and I'm okay. Mm. Yeah, this episode's going to be a great episode, by the way. You know what? <laughs> you know why it's good? Why? Because it's it's ice cream. It yeah, has it's fucking real. cream, mm-hmm. cream and milk and eggs and stuff in it. And yeah. because it's actually ice cream, that's why it's that's why it tastes delicious. So this is weird because they have milk and eggs in it. That's the first two ingredients. But I guess they go wrong with the prebiotic fiber, the milk protein concentrate. Jeez, what? Yeah. But there's something really bizarre. I I don't know what it is. I don't know what thing it is in this. But there's something that's very strange about the sweetness of this. It's almost like they've perfected um, how it looks. It, it does look like ice cream, and so you know, looks eye appeals half the meal. Maybe it's, that's how they trick half their customers or whatever. Yeah, it's just they put it in a in a pint, like make it look like it's actually ice cream, and it's just, but it's just not. I don't know what it is. It's I just I know what it's not, and it's not actually ice cream. It's just garbage. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, that was scintillating LSAT podcast. I'm, sh- I'm sure people are just loving, loving this episode. They're like, yeah, thanks, thanks. That really helps with my logical reasoning. Yeah. I'll, I'll dive into this first uh, email while, uh, while you're um, replacing the awfulness of Halo Top. Oh, I just finished. Yeah, I just ate oh, you're done. like okay. yeah, a half a pint. <laughs> 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 okay. Uh, I, we got an email. Um, I read an email from Thomas last time, and he signed off VR. Okay, very respectfully. Which is a oh, see, I didn't know what it meant, oh, so okay. I had to ask on the show. And I got like ten emails with people saying, "Hey, so here, hey Nathan, I listened to the podcast, and I have always taken VR to mean very respectfully. I learned to use this salutation at an internship with the military slash Department of Defense VR." Thomas. So, okay. VR means very respectfully. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Got it. Cool. Cool. Uh, Next one. Sure. Hey guys, just wanted to update you on how my cycle went. As a quick refresher, I took Nathan's online course and did Skype tutoring with Ben. I took the test four times, 166, 167, 166, 173. Boom. Okay. Cool. And all that matters is that 173, which yep. is six points higher than his other highest score. Yep. yep. That's huge. I'm headed to UMich, okay, the University of Michigan, in the fall with a pretty sizable scholarship. Oh, Calvin, it wasn't full then, I guess. Mm. Couldn't have done it without you both! Exclamation point. Thanks again, and all the best in the future, Calvin. Uh, we're excited for you, Calvin, for sure, and I'm sure you got more money than you would have at you know, the University of Michigan had you not taken the test a fourth time, but I wonder if you should be going somewhere else for free. 
Yeah, if I was Calvin, I would not be going to Michigan for a pretty sizable scholarship. I would definitely uh, dip down a step or two in the rankings and, you know, you could probably go to a school like UCLA uh, for free if you can get into a school like UMich. Yeah. And uh, I just can't imagine Michigan doing anything for you that UCLA is not going to. And I can imagine you really regretting uh, owing a shit ton of money when you get out of school. So, um, anyway, good for you, Calvin. Good job. <laughs> Thanks for writing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope you feel good about your decision. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I was thinking we should change the email address instead of help at thinking LSAT. It should just be like, you know, uh, criticism at thinking LSAT or yeah, you know, shit on my dreams at yeah. thinking LSAT. <laughs> shit on me at thinking LSAT.com. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, good, good job, Calvin. Hopefully that's a very sizable scholarship, um, rather than a pretty sizable scholarship. Yeah. No matter what, I mean, it's a great school and you got more money than you would have if you hadn't taken it a fourth time. So that was a really smart move. Yeah. Uh, next one here says, Nathan and Ben, this above the law article makes me sick. And it may be worth sharing on the podcast. This story is a sad illustration of what can happen when students overpay for law school. Uh, I know I clicked on this back in the day when I put it on the agenda, but, um, oh, that <laughs> says the headline recent law school graduate goes on welfare because of inability to find job. Hmm. I graduated from Southwestern Law School. I failed the bar in 2017. Today, I will go to the Los Angeles County Department of Public Social Services on the same street as Southwestern Law School to apply for CalFresh and CalWorks. I have applied for over 600 jobs over the past year, uh, year and a half, and the only job I found was a seasonal position at Macy's selling watches for minimum wage, and that ended th- two months ago. I have missed three opportunities to retake the bar exam because I can't find a job in anything. I know my degrees are worthless. I have dedicated the rest of my life to educating people on the perils of higher education. Southwestern Law School ruined my life, and I don't want anyone else to be in this position. I owe $300,000 in federal loans, and I will be on welfare. This makes me seriously suicidal. My life is over. If I could sue, I would. I am just an African-American male from the inner city, and I thought obtaining higher education would help me. Uh, there's more in the article <clears throat> on above the law. We will post this to the show notes. Um, yeah. Any thoughts about that? That, that is sad. I'm, I'm just listening to what he's saying here. Um, that would be very depressing to owe so much money and to feel like now you're just in a pile of debt. And the only kind of job you can get is minimum wage. The problem here, though, I think is that whoever this person is, they can almost certainly do more. It's just that given what they know now, they don't feel like they can do more and they don't. And so that's it's kind of self-fulfilling in some ways, right? Like uh, you probably shouldn't be applying to over 600 jobs instead he should pick like two or three and really nail them and figure and don't apply to jobs that are minimum wage um go go you're gonna get what you apply for so it's the situation sucks and i wish that he hadn't have gone to law school and all that stuff but 
I think there's there's always hope if he can just get his head out of the sand. Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it's, his life is not over. Um, he's got a uh, very difficult debt burden to try to overcome somehow. But um, uh, yeah, that is weird. 600 jobs. How do you apply for 600 jobs? Mm, I don't know. It seems like very untargeted and therefore a waste of a lot of time. Yeah. By the way, you know, it's not like Southwestern is unique in this. Um, Law schools are just admitting people who shouldn't be going to law school. Yeah. And they are charging full price and young people are just signing their name on the dotted line and borrowing a shit ton of money and they get a degree that then it just does not prepare them for anything. It does not, it does not guarantee them any kind of success in the future. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, you know, and I, I know plenty of people who go to Southwestern and pass the bar and end up with great jobs too. It's just that they, you know, they have an extremely, they have very low standards. And so they end up graduating a bunch of people like this guy. Um, it's not like they gave him a bad education. I don't think, I, I just think he wasn't really equipped for this to begin with. And they shouldn't have accepted him. Yeah. And they, right. So they shouldn't have accepted them. Yeah. And which is like, so that's where the ABA, if the ABA is really supposed to be this, you know, if there, if there's any purpose in accreditation, Mm -hmm. I don't know why the ABA doesn't step in and stop this. Yeah. I I, I just don't get it. Sure. Like one example, like this guy can, doesn't prove anything, but the numbers overwhelmingly show that like, what was that school that we were talking about the other day that, Something like twenty percent passed the bar. Or something insane. Was it twenty yeah, or thirty or something? Some of the schools are just insanely low. I mean, I saw a that's tweet. criminal. I mean, not criminal. It's just, it's just well, why arguably. Why, well, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you, I'm just trying to avoid the whole like moral argument, right? To yeah. be like angry just because it just seems like unjust. I just say that's not. Well, you're 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 failing at your business, and therefore. Someone needs to tap you on the shoulder and say, take a break or get your shit together and stop hurting people. Stop hurting people. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like you claim to be educators, right? Oh, yeah, we're, we're doing this glorious thing for for humanity. Mm-hmm. We're helping these helping, you know, we're helping society, helping the helping our students and we're helping society. And it's like, no, you're not. Most of the people who go to your school never practice law. Yeah. You're not doing Why shit. Don't you you're just ripping them. people off. Yeah. <laughs> Educate them in life yeah. too. Right. I, like anyway, I saw a tweet or wait, maybe it was on the above the law podcast. I've listened to a couple episodes of the above the law podcast recently, Ben, and it's pretty good. Um, is it as good as ours? Mm, we'll have to let the listeners be the judge on that. <laughs> oh, what a good answer. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, they, I think, yeah, I think it was them. They were talking about how, in it was like 2016 law graduates nationwide and it was like 40% of them had jd required jobs hmm. 40% of 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 law school graduates nationwide mm-hmm. this is like a year or two out of law school yeah and 40% of them have jobs that require a JD. Yeah. Yeah. That's not good. Mm-mm. That's not good. Especially because the only reason to go to law school is to get a job that requires a JD. Yeah. 
That's a little bit strong. I would say there's some exceptions, but um, like on the Hill, there's a lot of people who don't need a JD, but in some practically speaking, they do. So maybe that wouldn't technically qualify, but like to get ahead, you kind of need one. So I guess you still mm-hmm. need one. It's just not like required on the paper, right? Mm-hmm. Those are pretty rare. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. those are that sounds like Washington D.C. shit. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a bummer. Yep. Sad Ready story. for the next one? Yeah. Yeah. What's up, fellas? Exclamation point question mark. Uh, I love the podcast. All y'all's varied approaches and styles to tackling the LSAT are refreshing. I sometimes like to think about how you would both approach the LSAT if it was a woman. What? (laughs) What What the fuck is is this? I don't know. I'm I'm hesitant to keep reading. Uh, Okay. Oh, yeah. Wait, no, we can't read this. Yeah, I don't think we can. No way we can read this. <laughs> All right, thank you. Who was this? Um, Scotty G. <laughs> Thanks Scotty for writing in, Scotty G. G. Wait, okay, we are not going to read any of that paragraph. Uh, okay. Maybe so, we could read that next paragraph? Yeah, we'll, we'll give you a second chance here. I'm wondering what all's y'alls, for some reason I can't say that, I'm wondering what y'alls think about accelerated JD programs. Hmm. I've heard you mention that law school in three years is an absolute joke. I only see law school as a means to an end. Okay, that's fair enough. All I need to do is pass the bar exam, but don't capitalize it, by the way, and I will be on my way to where I'm trying to go. I wouldn't mind getting it over with in two years. I also wouldn't mind dragging it out for four years in a part-time program where I could stack some cash at the same time. Okay, the way you have described it, three years seems like the most inconvenient option. Busy enough to not hold a job, not busy enough to get it done in a reasonable amount of time. I know there are only a few schools that offer the two-year option. However, if I could pass the bar exam after a two-year grind, I wouldn't mind attending any of them. I'd love to hear your insights into this matter. Who knows, maybe if I treat the LSAT right, she'll take me out to a two-year law school. Okay, we're going back to that female analogy. Thank you. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Feel free to use my names. All right. Oh, I've found your free online classes to be a big help. I also bought Nathan's Introducing the ELSA and have found it to be useful to glance over and reinforce approaches to the different question stems. Well, thanks, Scotty G. Um, what do we think about accelerated JD programs? <laughs> I think it's a great idea. I I think um, I think Scotty's right here that three years full time is just outrageous. You, you you spend three years of your life not working, and you're just paying full tuition, and it's just boring as shit. My three years in law school, I was just miserable. I was so bored. I just hated yeah. it. I was so bored. I thought it was so boring. I thought the classes were so boring. I thought all the assignments were so boring. I just hated it, and. Um, they were not doing anything to prepare me for the bar. I mean, they were just were not teaching anything about the bar. And what most people do is they graduate from law school and then they study for the bar intensively for a couple months. Yep, that's exactly what I did. So, I mean, not only could a two-year program adequately prepare you for the bar, but I mean, I'm a one-year program could adequately prepare you for the bar. I think a six-month program could adequately prepare you for the bar. If all you did was study the bar, 
you could pass the bar in six months. Yeah. Right. I mean, hands down easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think if you just like one L's could easily pass the bar if they just spent the whole year actually teaching you about the bar exam, but instead they spend three years, quote unquote, teaching you how to think like a lawyer, (laughs) which is basically just an excuse for them to, you know, fill up a classroom with a hundred people and just have a professor sort of mediocrely teaching you using the Socratic method in a poor way. And everyone in the room is like online shopping and watching UFC fights and on their laptops and shit. <laughs> literally, literally I would sit, I would sit in the back and watch, just look around at everybody's screen and everybody's definitely shoe shopping. And um, yeah, actually watching fights on, yeah, on their, that's so funny. On their laptop. It shows that we're, us humans are all just in a big game, right? Like I'll come up here and talk and pretend to be enlightening you. You pretend to be enlightened by what I'm saying. We all walk away, shake hands, and give each other pats on the back. And you pay us money, and then you go get a job at a great place that then encourages confrontation between two other parties, and you collect money as they fight with each other, and both sides walk away. As they say, right, the attorneys always win. Um, yeah, so it's a big charade. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I, wow. Yeah, I know. I mean it's true. It's uh well, whatever. We're living inside of uh computer simulation anyway, so it doesn't you know, it is all a big joke. That's true. A big game. Someone did ask um, the other day, they're like, So how often uh do you see Nathan? I'm like, I've actually only seen him once, episode three or four, whatever it was. <laughs> what was that episode? Was it three? It was it was early on. I don't know that it was that early on, but it was pretty early on. It was in the first like ten, ten or something. Yeah, yeah we yeah. sat in my kitchen in uh, in my old apartment in West Portal. San and then we're like, we can't stand each other uh, in in actual life, so we'll have to just go back to <laughs> talking over Skype. <laughs> yeah, this uh, I I think if you can find a two year program, I think that's awesome. I think a two year program would be would be great. And yeah, you know you'll. It's one less, uh, one fewer year lost of lost earnings. Yeah, and there's absolutely no reason why a two-year program can't adequately uh, educate you for the bar exam. Law school is just a ridiculous, overblown joke. It's just so stupidly long. Mm-hmm. I say it all the time. You know, the old thing is that the first year they scare you to death, and then the second year they work you to death, and then the third year they bore you to death. Mm. Haha, that's the old thing about law school. Yeah. For me, it was just they bored me to death all three years. Mm. I was like, what the fuck is this shit? This is so stupid. (laughs) What are we doing? All it was is it's just an academic competition, Mm -hmm. right? It's just like, here's a whole bunch of work, and all we're doing is we're just sort of like ranking you. And it really is. It's pretty separated from reality of legal practice, right? It doesn't really have anything to do with <laughs> with what lawyers actually are going to do yeah. in the day to day. Yeah. So anyway, Scotty G, um, dude, cool it on the sexist stuff. I don't know what that is, but don't do that, please. You are going to end up getting yourself in big trouble. <laughs> Never write anything like this ever again, please. Um. Yeah, especially emailing it to random strangers. (laughs) It's not like it's that bad, but I mean, it's bad enough that it's just like, what? 
Yeah. This is not how professional people, not like Ben and I, not like we're super professional, but we, I don't know what made you think that we would, it's, I understand that you're joking, but this is just not funny jokes. I wish we could share it on the show so that we could kind of mock it, but it's too, it's too offensive. We can't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Yep. <laughs> ben and Nathan. Thank you for all the hard work you two put in to create the Thinking LSAT podcast. I've learned so much from both of you. I'm looking to enter law school in the fall of 2019. However, I'll be getting married this summer, and my soon-to-be wife is still figuring out what her plans are after she graduates in May of 2019. Getting married right before law school. Wow. Okay. Um, currently, I am scoring around 165 on my practice tests, and I have a 3.8 GPA. At Creighton Law School in Omaha, that's enough to earn a full tuition scholarship. We want to eventually settle down in Omaha, but it may be a few years. Currently, we are in St. Louis, where my scores could be competitive for a full scholarship at SLU. I keep hearing it's better to go to law school in the location you want to practice in order to have an easier time establishing connections and landing a job. Assuming both of these schools offered full scholarships, do you think it would be better to go as early as possible and attend SLU in St. Louis or wait until we get back to Omaha and go to Creighton? Thank you again for all you do. Don't pay for law school. Nick. All right. Nick has definitely uh, drank our Kool-Aid. That's good. Mm -hmm. Any advice for Nick? I don't know. This is more like a life question. Omaha versus St. Louis. Mm. I so I would be curious as to why they want to settle down in Omaha. I'm guessing there's family there. Is that what he said? That doesn't mm. say. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I mean, life changes as you go along. I might consider. So let's say. I guess it's not totally clear to me, but let's say that they're from Omaha or have a lot of family in Omaha. If they're really familiar with Omaha, then I would actually encourage them to go to St. Louis just to confirm that they want to go back to Omaha. If they're not familiar with Omaha, if they're from somewhere else, then go to Omaha and check it out. See if they really like it there and they can always go back to wherever they were or somewhere else. Just try something else for these three years. And you'll know if you want to go back. I don't think it's a big deal where they are. <laughs> I would say um, for sure wait to go to law school, though. Sure. Like yeah, the, fact that Nick, the fact that Nick even suggests waiting to go to school later, yeah. right? Nick asks, do you think it would be better to go as early as possible and attend SLU or wait until we go back to Omaha and go to Creighton? So he, it's actually in the cards for Nick potentially to wait three years or whatever it is until he's back in Omaha and then go to law school. Yeah. If you've even got that on your radar at all, I would a hundred percent say, wait, just don't because I basically don't, don't go to law school unless you like have to. Yeah. Is my advice. So I, you're getting married. This is going to be big changes for you. Um, law school is really, really bad for relationships. Mm -hmm. (laughs) People break up with boyfriends and girlfriends. People get divorced. People develop alcoholism and all sorts of problems. Law school and legal practice is really bad for relationships. And so, um, dude, enjoy your wife. Um, 
build a good life for yourself. And uh, if you can avoid law school, just avoid the whole thing entirely. Yeah. And for those um, of you who do go, by the way, take up meditation. That might help cool your jets when you meditation. Get into things. Yeah, maybe don't drink so much and uh, do a little meditation. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good plan. Um, yeah, otherwise, I, I don't really. It, it is true. These are both like regional law schools, right? Creighton and SLU. I yeah. mean, they just they don't carry any kind of a reputation outside of for sure outside of, uh, the Midwest. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the reputation of Creighton is in St. Louis. And I don't know what the reputation of SLU is in Omaha. I have no idea. Yeah. I, I, I would, that's a question not for me or Ben. That's a question for lawyers who do the kind of practice that you think you want to do, um, in Omaha. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I, you, you got to you got to find lawyers who want to do who do the kind of thing you want to do and you've got to figure out where they went to school and you've got to figure out if you can replicate their career path by going to whatever school. Mm-hmm. But we can't give you just blanket advice on that other than don't go or put it off. Yeah. Next. Yeah. Hi Ben and Nathan. This is Ezra again. I've written in a few times. Hope you will forgive the amount of emails and how long this one is. Okay. Oh, I remember I looked at this email and I was like, <laughs> we're not going to do this, but because it is super long, but it's got some good stuff. Holy <clears> shit, <throat> that's long. Yeah. It's got some oh funny stuff. Oh, my God. Though. Okay. Still a huge fan of the podcast and am very thankful for all the support you offer. You two are amazing. Well, thanks, Ezra. Some expectations from me for this email, if you choose to read any of it on the podcast. No, we don't need this. Okay, so I will start with the good stuff first, he says. He has become a patron, donating my paltry $2 a month. Hey, dude, that's two more than most people listening right now. (laughs) Yeah, everybody else is just straight freeloading. Off of your $2. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we appreciate it. We we appreciate the two dollars. We also just appreciate the fact that you are one of our patrons. That's awesome. Yep. And if you listen, we appreciate that too. Yeah, we do. I'm currently unemployed to study for the LSAT, but if that changes, I will be sure to up the ante. Well, thank you. Also, you had mentioned on your show that you were wondering what about what the people inside the LSAC fortress do. I am determined to see if I can figure out some more about this mysterious business. To start, I was looking at the career opportunities on the LSAC website. And I could not help but notice they are currently hiring for a, quote, director of customer delight. (laughs) Yeah. No, I am not making that up. Please allow it to sink in for a moment. A customer, a director of customer delight. I would very strongly recommend that you read more about this position and others at the link below. Spoiler alert, the description calls for a, quote, can-do attitude and a builder of bridges. <laughs> All right, someone there realized that they're, like, failing to appease people, which is why the GRE is even an option. Whoa, yeah, they've got four jobs currently posted. They're looking for a disabilities specialist. Hmm. A director of customer delight, a research assistant, and another research assistant. Research assistant. Psychometric research. 
Psychometric research. Where does it say that? Huh? I clicked the link. There's four, four yeah, yeah. opportunities under research assistant. They're looking for a in the. They have a psychometric research group. Hmm. Yeah, that's Whoa. interesting. What are they doing? Well, psychometricians, right, are the ones who write standardized tests. Oh. oh okay. Well, that's boring. Director of Customer Delight. The Director of Customer Delight will be responsible for owning, maintaining, and improving the entire end-to-end process of test taker and law school candidate contact with LSAC with a focus on easing the navigation of all stages of the application process. Should problems occur, he or she must be able to plan for clear risk mitigation to move customers from unhappy complainants to delighted customers. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) <laughs> Areas directly included in this process include LSAT, Credential Assembly Service Registration and Support via both web and phone, as well as all aspects of LSAT administration, fee waivers, accommodations, and application to law school. Including Canada. rewriting this very <laughs> yeah. job solicitation. <laughs> the candidate should have intimate knowledge of the processes customers considering law school go through from initial thinking through matriculation. From initial thinking through matriculation. Wow. The candidate must have an understanding of test taker differences, including disabilities, with a passion to provide support for all test takers, guaranteeing fairness and equity. And he or she must share the organization's firm belief in providing accommodations and a testing environment that ensures that test takers can be tested on their abilities and not their disabilities. The fuck does that even mean? I don't know what that means. We don't want to test you on your disabilities. Well, of course not. You're testing them on the LSAT. Whoa. Blah, 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 blah. And oversee the monitoring of emerging technologies that might enhance or threaten LSAC's ability to delight customers and advise relevant <laughs> stakeholders on appropriate courses of action. The threaten. shit. What is this? Wow. A good sense of humor and a healthy dose of humility are desirable. Huh. Maybe we should get this job. I think we, we could do be a the director of customer delight. Yeah. Okay. Should we go back to the email? Yeah. Okay. Thank okay. you. Let's see here. Some other good news. I'm improving on my practice test scores after sending a mopey email to Ben about a stray 157. I scored 168, 163, and another 168. My highest scores yet. Dude, that's awesome. I'm consistently getting one wrong on the games. RC continues to be my Achilles heel. Now, for a list of questions that will make you hate me. Oh. Any answers that you have would be, I would be eternally grateful for. So I was thinking we would just do like rapid fire for these. Let's see what we can do. Yeah, one is writing explanations or creating logic games a good use of time? No. <laughs> okay. Next question. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. A good use of time is pretty inefficient. Like creating logic games. Come on, you don't need to do that. That's so, just silly. I have to be completely honest here. When I did, um, <clears throat> when I was prepping for the LSAT, my instructor invited us to do that, and I ended up writing two games. And at least for me at the time, I felt like it was helpful because I I remember specifically coming up with the answer choices and realizing, not that you have to create a logic game to realize this, but it helped me realize it 
that um, everything goes back to the original rule. So they just, it works like you just make inferences. One leads to the next, this leads to the next, which leads to your final answer. And for some reason, doing that whole process backwards um, was helpful. I don't remember um, what else I thought of the whole thing, but I ended up writing two games, which is kind of strange looking back because no one ever does that. So I guess I was maybe destined to become an LSAT instructor. But that's what I did. Um, I'm glad it was helpful for you, Ben. It seems like a good thing to do if you have unlimited time. But if if we're asking about is this a good use of time, I would say no. Okay. Question number two. Should I always take five-section tests, or as I start to run out of materials, is it better to switch to four-section tests? I have taken about 30 to 35 practice tests so far. If I do take five-section tests, what is the best material to use for the experimental and how should I incorporate it? Maybe sections I have already done from other tests and try to perfect them or other brand-new tests, section types I struggle with. I, okay, so I think you're overthinking this. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, it doesn't... It doesn't matter which fifth section you do if you want to do a five-section test. I do think there can be a value in doing five-section tests because sometimes people get um, they don't realize that they're not as good at the test until they do more back-to-back and they realize, oh, I'm getting tired because I'm just not as good at this as I thought I was. Um, and so I don't have a problem with you doing five-section tests, but it doesn't matter what your fifth section is. I don't care what it is. Yeah, just do the first section of the next test in your book or whatever. That's fine. Yeah, just or grab just, a test and say, "This is my five sections, or I'm going to use yeah. this for my experimentals." Or don't even worry about doing five section tests and just do four section tests. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Get better yep. at the thirty five minute sections, and you're going to be fine. Yep, that's all that matters. So if you want to do four section tests, great. If you want to do five section tests, great. If you want to just do one section at a time, great. Next. Three, is taking practice tests I already took prior a poor use of time if I still have ones I have not yet taken? These questions are making me hate this person. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Um, nah, I, that's I suspect, okay. I don't hate this person. I, I suspect some people have these questions. I think that it's not a poor use of time if you don't have that many left. I would say alternate between ones that you've taken before and ones that you haven't so that you don't burn through the new ones right away um, and so then you're still kind of getting a realistic assessment as you get closer to the actual test day sure yeah that that works for me I don't mind cool it, it's sort of like I again I'm just like I don't care I keep keep practicing do more practice that's good yeah can a cause and effect argument be strengthened by showing a lack of the cause with a lack of the effect? Wait, hold on. Can a cause and effect argument be strengthened? Okay, so you're saying something, I'm assuming this is a correlation causation argument, can be strengthened by showing a lack of the cause with a lack of the effect. I mean, you're strengthening the correlation there is all you're doing. That's all you're doing, which would strengthen the... that does strengthen the argument, so yes. Yeah. Okay, done. It's not a great strengthener, it's just strengthening the correlation, and things can be correlated without being causally related at all. Yeah, things can be. Did you just say perfectly correlated? 
Did I say? I don't think I said perfectly correlated. Oh. I just said things can be correlated without being causally related. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just going to add to that. Things can be even perfectly correlated. There can be sure. a perfect correlation between two things, and there's no causal relationship. So, um, all you've done is strengthen the correlation, which does help, but it still doesn't prove anything. Yeah, and it's also a very weak weakener to show the absent, like to show the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. To show like, hey, look, you know this. Uh, this this three year old never smoked and they have cancer, therefore you know smoking can't cause cancer because you're you're showing like hey cancer sometimes happens without smoking, but that's a very very weak weakener. Mm-hmm. Uh, so showing correlation is a very weak strengthener. Showing lack of correlation or discorrelation is a very weak weakener. Discorrelation, how's that? Hmm. So wait, I think I don't want to mix two things here because showing like one example is not the same as showing a lack of correlation, right? I'm just talking about a data point that decouples the two. Yeah, if you have a data point, that doesn't really matter because you could still have a correlation. But if you actually show that there is no correlation between two things, I think that's a pretty strong indicator that there is not a causal relationship. I see, to show that the two are not even correlated at all. Yeah, yeah. As a, yeah. in other words, you're not looking at one data point; you're looking at all of them, and you say, "Well, there's no correlation between these two things," and that's pretty good evidence that there's no causal relationship. But yeah, okay, you're right. Yeah, okay. Five. Do you have any additional advice for improving RC? I know you hate that kind of question. I just run out of time some at some points, and I have never been able to get below four wrong on a section, occasionally skyrocketing to ten wrong. Also, you may have heard that the June 2018 LSAT had a particularly challenging RC, so other listeners might be wondering the same. Um, just keep reviewing and understanding exactly why you're not getting the questions right, why you didn't understand the passage initially. Um, the bottom line here for reading comprehension is that you have to get better I know you're probably going to hate this kind of answer, but it is the answer, and it's the best answer for your LSAT score and the best answer for your law school career and your life. Um, You have to get better at reading and just understanding what you're reading as you're reading it. I mean, Nathan, you've talked before about being present, I think people's problem is that they're not present and engaged enough. That's almost always the case. It's just like I ask them what they think about what they just read and it's a shoulder shrug. Or it's like, well, yeah, I guess, but uh, blah, blah, blah. It's like, did you understand what it was saying and do you have an opinion about that? If not, then you're not reading carefully enough. Yeah, um, the, the, the like occasionally skyrocketing to 10 wrong that's concerning to me. I mean, if that ever is possible, then I don't know, maybe you should only be doing three passages. Mm-hmm. You're not, you know, like I've never been able to get below four wrong. Well, then I don't know. It's a stretch for you to do all four, all four passages. Maybe you just need to like, you're, you're letting the perfect be the enemy of the good here. It sounds like on average, I'm guessing Ezra is probably missing about one full passage worth of questions. Yeah. Right, best mm-hmm. ever is four wrong, and sometimes gets ten wrong. I mean, if you just take yeah. the middle number there, that's seven wrong. That's an entire passage worth of questions. And uh, I don't know. I think what sounds potentially like Ezra's racing the clock, trying to finish every time. 
and just not really understanding. Yeah. So I would prescribe go deeper, stop missing questions. If you run out of time on the last few, that's fine. But you know, you 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 could consistently get minus four if you just like slowed down and got him got him right. The ones you attempted got him right. And if you ran out of time on the last few, that's fine. Yeah. Get to a point where you're getting all three of those passages correct. Right. Three perfect passages. Yeah. That's a hell of a lot better than like doing four perfect or four passages and missing 10. Yeah. It's like damage control too. You know, it's like safety first. I mean, we, you just can't afford that minus 10 on the day of the test. And if Ezra was going slower and only doing, you know, three passages or three and a half passages, you would think, um, that you could achieve a pretty consistent, like minus six or something that mm-hmm. way, which would be a lot better than having that chance of a minus 10. Yeah. Anyway, next. Admissions related. Number one, is there a list of schools that have early decision programs or a way to find this information? I don't know. I don't know either. You just, I, I don't know that I would make my decision based on that either. I would just go to, schools you want to go to and see what their early decision programs are. Yeah. Two, is early decision worth applying for and under what circumstances? So what's the general <laughs> advice here? Watch out for what you're committing to? Yeah, watch out for binding early decision programs where you're telling them that if they admit you, you will withdraw your offers or your, withdraw your applications to all other schools. You're, you're actually really only allowed to sign to a uh, apply for one of those, right? <laughs> because otherwise you put yourself in a situation where two of those schools might admit you and you get yourself in trouble. Yeah. So make sure you're reading the fine print. Um, some of them are great. Some of them come with a scholarship. Some of them, it's actually harder to get into the school through early decision because they come with a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you, you got to look at the, the fine print. And if you're going to apply binding early decision, it's almost never a good idea to apply binding. If you do, you need to be willing to pay full price to that school. Yeah. And so, I mean, okay, it's obviously not smart then. <laughs> Just don't do that. Only apply to a program where, you know, only apply binding if they're going to give you a full ride as part of the as part of the offer. There yeah. are there are offers like that. There are programs like that. Yep. Yeah. 3. Can I specify scholarship needs in an early decision application or are they all set in stone prior to applying? Well, if you're committing to, if they're not going to give you a full ride scholarship as part of that early decision, um, and you're committing to go there and nowhere else, then you're giving up your leverage to negotiate for scholarship. So I think it has to be set, or you're kind of just dependent on their generosity at that point. Yeah, just don't do it. Don't apply binding. Four, I've heard on your show from Anne Levine that schools require one to list all schools they are applying to in an application. And this can only be bad if some are outlandish. If I end up with a 164, hopefully this doesn't have, oh, okay. Would it be outlandish of me to apply to schools at the top of the list? You just have to look at the GPA LSAT calculator and see how many chances you have. I don't think with it's a 164 at a 3.7, that's like, that's every law school in the country sometimes admits a 164 with a 3.7. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think, I think there are people who squeak into even Harvard, Stanford, Yale, right? With it's, it's with rare, those. but they're yeah. once in a while. So yeah. I don't think it would be outlandish to apply to any school with those numbers. Okay. 
Five, if I had a bad SAT score, would it help to add an addendum saying that my test scores do not reflect my work ethic since my GPA was fairly high? Um, I actually think this could be good. If your LSAT score is high, then I would just drop it. But if your LSAT score is low compared to where you're applying to, then yeah, I would say, look, my SAT score was this and my GPA was that, which means I can do better than my scores suggest I will. Okay. Okay. Six. Both of you have mentioned frequently on the show that there is a that there are national schools and regional schools. You have also stated there is no difference between a school ranked twenty and a school ranked fifty. What are the differences between national and regional? Where do schools start to make a difference or become noticed? I am not tied to any particular region and enjoy travel, have aspirations, blah blah blah. Okay. He says, Would basically any school ranked under twenty be regional? I I don't know that there's no difference between a 20 and a 50, but it's just a lot less different than what most people think. Wouldn't you say? I mean, like if, if someone got into a 20 and a 50 and they both got full rides, then I'd go to the 20, hands down. Yeah. I, and I don't, there is no hard and fast. We're not in the business of drawing lines. So I don't know. There's some school ranked whatever. Where you can call it national or you can call it regional, I don't know. It's just is that job going to is that school going to get you the job specifically that you want? This like I like travel and have aspirations to work federally. What does that mean? What actual job are you trying to get? Who who is the attorney whose career you are trying to replicate? Where did they go to school? What 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 types of schools give you the legitimate chance to have that type of job. All this labeling is just, it's kind of driving me crazy. So I don't know. There's no number. I don't know. There's not, there's no, everybody, it's like, that's all everybody talks about all the time, right? It was like, well, we got the top 14 and we got the top 10 and we got the top three and we got the top 50 tier one, tier two, tier three. It's like, shut up. What, (laughs) what actual school are we talking about? Yeah. Where, where do people from that school end up working? Are these the types of jobs that you actually want? Because otherwise it's all just this weird semantics and, and labels and hierarchy and stuff. I don't know. I'm just not about it. Maybe that's why I was so terrible in law school and why I'm <laughs> happily not a lawyer. Maybe lawyers enjoy this shit. I don't. Yeah. I mean, my only thought in terms of regional versus national is it's more like a continuum. The higher you're ranked, yeah. the more national you are. And the lower you're ranked, the more regional you are. Yeah, obviously. I mean, UCLA is not in the top 14, you know, are they a national law school? Do people, does, does UCLA have prestige? Well, I mean, it's certainly prestigious in Southern California. You have to go a few hundred miles before you get to a better law school than UCLA. So I don't know, but you know, when you get, by the time you cross the California border, now UCLA has become the third best law school in the state. So is where does it fade, you know? I don't think people on the East Coast are super super impressed by your UCLA JD. So it's all it's all relative, right? Well, it's kind of funny too because it depends on how much name recognition that school has which may have nothing to do with their ranking. So, for example, UCLA, I think, has a lot of name recognition for other reasons, 
Yeah, but that of, actually increases the value of your JD for no reason whatsoever. It has nothing to do with the ranking of the school. But because of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> Just the fact that people know about UCLA. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, no, that's I'm like making a joke, but that's yeah. for real. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, UCLA, sweet, cool, awesome I know basketball cool. team. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they immediately can picture it. They know the colors and everything. And yeah, so that is weird. Weirdly, there's there's some. But I mean, okay, is that what people are thinking about who are actually going to be hiring you to be a lawyer? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> your friends, your family, like it's going to get you laid at a bar maybe, but it's not going to it's not going to actually get you a job. Yeah. Which is what you need to be thinking about. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right, Ezra, good luck. Yeah, sorry Ezra, I don't hate you. Um that was a very long email though. Uh next one? Yeah. Okay. Subject to reapply or not to reapply. Oh yeah. This is awesome. We got our first draft and it was 1,075 words. And Ben asked him, uh, this is Bernard. Call me Bernard. That might be a Westworld reference. Call me Bernard. Um, it was, it was 1,075 words in the first draft. I counted because Ben kind of hilariously asked him to shorten it. It came back 806 words. So it it shrank by 20%. And Ben immediately said, this is still too long, shorten it more. And it came back a third attempt at 581 words. So still cutting, but not cutting enough. But at this point, we were on a roll. And we both (laughs) asked Bernard to cut it down to less than 300 words. We both were just like, at this point, we were piling on. We were like, come on, dude, you can do better than this. Like, let's cut it down. Yeah. And so I think what gave us the motivation was you wrote him back a couple of sentences that were a sixth of the length of his original sentence. Oh, that's right. I I took like a whole paragraph and I cut it down to like one sentence. Yeah. Or you took one sentence that was like 12 words long and you made it two. You know, and (laughs) it's like, uh, you know, hmm, that's a lot better, you know? It is. It's so much better. Like Ezra's email would have been way better if it would have been like one fourth as long. Yep. So much better if it would have just be so, so much shorter. There's so much fluff and bullshit. Yeah, everybody, just general rule of thumb on writing. I mean, you should write it and you should just cut it down to like a third. Yep. Not, I'm not talking about slightly massaging it. I'm talking about just wholesale, just chopping, like aggressive, just pruning it down to nothing. Well, it's actually it's funny you say that because this sentence right here you just read it you just call me Bernard that's not his sentence or it wasn't his sentence originally his sentence originally was like three sentences to say like if you want to use my name on the podcast which I'm totally fine with and that's, <laughs> that works for me you know I'm not I'm cool with that sometimes people call me Bernard but you can say Bernard if you want to say Bernard you know I don't know what it was but it was just like super long you're like how about call me Bernard <laughs> oh that's right that, that is what it was yeah beautiful done. <laughs> Hilarious. Oh, by the way, this is the type of uh, awesome feedback you're going to get on your personal statement if you hire me and Ben to do your personal statement for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Here's the email. It says, don't worry. I don't hate you guys. Thanks for being patient with me. I cut out a bunch of fluff. So it's now 276 words. Here it is. Ben and Nathan, call me Bernard. I recently discovered your podcast and boy, do I wish I had found it sooner! Exclamation point. That could be trimmed a little bit. Anyway, um, here is some context. 
I initially took the October 2013 LSAT and scored a miserable 144. Feeling like it was the end of the world, I decided to postpone law school. Last November, I was notified that my job would be ending in July, so I took this opportunity to try again. With only a month until the December 2017 test, I made the uninformed decision to use an accursed Kaplan text to study. Despite my lack of preparedness, I still sat for the test and scored an unsatisfying 154. With the pressure of looming deadlines, I shook it off and focused on the rest of my application. I ended up submitting most applications late, resulting in only two acceptance offers. I turned one down, and the other was from a low-ranked local school offering an approximately 50% scholarship. Assuming I maintain a 2.9 GPA, I would pay $26,000 a year. Dilemma. Should I settle for a school that I am uncertain about because they are offering a tempting scholarship? Or should I wait, knowing that I could beef up my LSAT score and reapply next cycle. Want to start there, Ben? Yeah, you should wait and reapply. I mean, you say it's a tempting scholarship, but it's actually a trap. I guess that's why it might be tempting at all, but um, it's just a way to, to get you in. Just, I think you're thinking about it like, oh, if I give up on this scholarship, I'm losing this money. You got to look at it from their perspective. They're hoping, they're crossing their fingers that you take the bait and you come and you start giving them twenty six thousand a year. Because if you say no, they're going to get nothing. So they're, you shouldn't be the one who's like staying up at night wondering if you should take this. They're the ones who need to be staying up at night hoping that you do take it. Yeah. Uh- there is absolutely nothing tempting about that offer. That offer, I, that offer is garbage. I, I hate to break it to you, but that offer is just terrible. You're going to pay $26,000 a year. I mean, if, the, if that was just the sticker price, $26,000 a year, you would be like, holy shit, that's outrageously expensive. Yeah. But instead they made it 52000 a year so that they could offer you a $26,000 scholarship. And they're still ripping you off to the tune of twenty six thousand. Um, Bernard doesn't mention anything about renew. Uh, well, about the um, Bernard says, assuming I maintain a two point nine GPA, I would pay twenty six thousand dollars a year. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like one of those where the average GPA in the school is like two point seven. Yeah, but even if it's a three, right? That's not very far away from the average GPA. Yeah, that would be if it was a three, then you'd be able to be slightly below average. If it's a two point seven, which many schools do, curve around a two point seven um, B minus curve. If it's a two point seven, then they're going to probably eliminate that scholarship like three, yeah. two out of three times. Well, what I'm saying is, even if even if you have like a higher average, it's still like very risky. Close to fifty percent of the time, yeah. You, Bernard, you you'd want to go to the to the 509 for the school because the 509 has conditional scholarship information on it. It'll, it'll show you on the 509, um, how many scholarships got reduced or eliminated. And you just don't want to take one of these offers. If, if there's a really high chance that you'll lose the offer. I mean, unless you're committed to the idea that you're going to drop out if you don't keep your scholarship, that's a very sensible plan. I, I have a, a friend, um, here in LA who's, uh, just got a conditional scholarship and she has decided like she's very clear that if she loses her scholarship, she's dropping out after the first year. Yeah. 
And I'm like, great, high five. You know, that's like, I hope you keep it. And if you keep it, that means you're going to be doing well in law school. If you lose that scholarship, it means you're doing terribly in law school and you're just should give up now on your legal aspirations. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> like if you're not keeping that scholarship, you're not doing, you're, you're doing poorly. Yeah. But this is a terrible offer, Bernard. I mean, Bernard must know what we're going to say, right? You yeah. applied with a mediocre LSAT score. You didn't, you prepped a month for the test. That's weak. You prepped a month, you got a mediocre score, you applied at the last minute, you got shitty offers. I mean, duh. <laughs> like, we're just very, I don't, do you think Bernard is like wanting to get yelled at or? I don't know. Yeah, it seems like Bernard knows that. Well, what were you expecting? Would you would you expect us to be like, huh? You're getting $26,000 a year in scholarship money. How could you possibly give that up? (laughs) (laughs) Have we ever said that? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I guess I have alluded to that for a really top program that you know what you're doing and you want to go into big law and you got a deal and you have to pay a little bit of money. But even then, $26,000 to pay is still just extraordinarily high. A 50% scholarship is just a terrible offer. It's just not a good offer. Yeah. It's a ripoff. Sorry, you were. I interrupted you, Ben. No, no. Like I'm okay with them paying a little bit for a very specific reason. I think there might be value some in some occasions, but it's like where you, you know, it's like I guess it comes back to the presumption. The presumption is don't pay unless you can come up with a specific reason to, and that's going to factor in how much you have to pay. And here you're paying an extraordinary amount for a school that doesn't seem to be anything. So <laughs> yeah, I'll. You do not get to rebut the presumption by saying, I applied late um, no, with, a, with a weak no, LSAT score. No, no. Like, <laughs> you need to have like an awesome score an awesome, or an awesome, pl- or maybe you have a low score, but you got into like Harvard and you have, um, you have a very specific career path and they're giving you some amount. I mean, the presum- that's the thing. That's the thing about a presumption is that you're, you're not going to go. And pay unless you can prove it, and the facts here are just not good. Yeah, um, you you did it. You if you had done everything in your power, like actually study for the LSAT and apply early and apply broadly, yep. mm-hmm. that might be the beginning of a rebuttal. You know, you might be might be able to say, okay, well, you know, you did every, you did all your stuff right, and now these are your offers. Okay, great. And this is your best possible offer, and it still makes more sense to pay this money and get a JD than not to, for whatever right. reason. Right. Instead, with Bernard here, it's like, hey, I, 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 I was lazy, and I, I want to. I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling badly about things. You know, I'm feeling sorry for myself, but I, I, I applied in a very stupid way, and now I want permission to take a bad offer. It's like, no, that's not. That's not what we're. That's not what we're doing. Nope. Okay, so contact that other person. Remember that we quoted on the show. Which one? Yeah, someone wrote in and they had said that she was saying a bunch of stuff on some podcast. Oh right, 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 right. <laughs> that one foremost expert teacher. Yeah, LSAT the foremost teacher. expert or something like that, and or she was like the most knowledgeable LSAT instructor or something. I can't remember. <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe write her. 
Oh, God. I mean, I, we would love to help you, Bernard. Um, you need to do Ben's free class. That's at strategyprep.com slash free. You should do my free class. That's at foxlsat.com slash free. You could get some of my books. You could consider taking one of our full LSAT classes that are online. Um, you you should really start over. You need to You need to try again next cycle. By the way, you're like late for the next cycle. <laughs> you know? For real, it's like you better get your ass fucking moving here. You you need to take this t- the test in September, yeah, Bernard, and you need to you need to nail it in September, and you need to re- apply right away. Yep, for the next cycle, you're late for the you're you're like the clock is majorly ticking for the 2019 cycle right now. Mm-hmm. Um, some questions regarding the application process: one, how much of my application should be changed? Your Two. LSAT score. Oh, yeah, sorry. your LSAT score for sure needs to be changed. 154 is just not the kind of score that you should be going to law school with. I, I'm, I, it's like, I think you need 160, 160 or 165 sort of as a minimum. Otherwise, I don't really think you need to be going down this path. So how much of my application should be changed? Yes, your LSAT score. Would it be a bad idea to use the same letters of rec? No. I don't think Probably not. I don't think that matters. Do you know if I will have to pay for the credential assembly service again through LSAC? Um, it depends. How long is the credential assembly service good for? A couple of years? Yeah, I don't know. I I'd assumed it was for life, but <laughs> probably not. I mean, they like to charge money for things. I I yeah. think you. Well, anyway, you're going to have to call LSAC to find that out. How do admissions committees view reapplicants? Um, they're probably not even going to remember that you applied. Like they didn't look at your application very seriously because you had a shitty LSAT score. So they were just like, nope. And now you're reapplying with a higher LSAT score. They're going to, now they're going to think of you as a real candidate. Yeah. And if it is one of these schools that already admitted you, um, I think they can only think about you positively. They're going to be like, oh shit, he didn't take our shitty offer. We thought we were going to be able to rip him off, but he's too smart for that. And now here he is applying with a 162 instead of a 154. Oh wow! You know, all of a sudden now he's a much more attractive candidate to us. Mm-hmm. And, and he's serious about coming here. He's applied twice. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't think they're ever going to discriminate against you. I think it's only a point in your favor that it makes you look like an actual lawyer that you're trying again. But the higher LSAT score is what's really going to make a difference. Yep. Um, would an addendum be appropriate to explain why I'm reapplying? I don't think you need to do that, do you? If they ask you, I suppose you could explain it. But otherwise, I don't know why you would feel obligated to explain it. No, I don't think so. Especially if you have a higher LSAT score. If you come back with a better application, I think you're fine. Yeah, it's pretty clear why you're reapplying if you apply again with a higher LSAT score. It's like, oh, he decided to get serious about his life. Yeah. This, this, um, I appreciate that Bernard went back and forth with us four times on the, on the email, cutting it down. You know, that was good. That showed a little bit of seriousness. Mm-hmm. This was a few weeks ago. So I have, I fear that Bernard has probably already taken this terrible offer. Mm. If he has, I think he should withdraw even if he's already paid a deposit. Yeah. Oh, like, for sure. If he, if that he deposit wrote them, be way less than the 26,000 right. per year. If he wrote them a check for $500 or $750 or $1,500, I still feel like it's a no-brainer to walk away from that money. It's not even close. It's a sunk cost. you got to look yeah. to the future. 
Yep. Those deposits are, you are not committed when you, just cause you paid a deposit doesn't mean you can't walk away from that deposit. And Bernard's going to be, Jesus, he's going to be shelling out 26,000 times three, $78,000 just tuition. So if you have spent a thousand dollars already on this deposit, Bernard, I would just absolutely call them and say, Hey, sorry, I made a mistake. Um, I'm starting over. Yeah. Uh, you could ask them if they will hold that deposit for you next year. They'll say no, probably, but you could ask them. They um, won't hold it if you don't ask. <laughs> yeah, they definitely won't if you don't ask. Uh, I, I was I started to say that the the back and forth, you know, that did indicate a little bit of seriousness from Bernard. But yeah, this the sort of the tone of this email it, it just seems it just it just strikes me as lazy, to be honest. Yeah. The sort of like half-assed, like taking the test and getting shitty scores and then sort of studying and then applying late in the cycle and then wanting to, you know, this whole, this whole, like people are like, they, they, I think they brutally underestimate how hard lawyers work and how hard law school is and just how I think they just way underestimate what they're getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. You know, when people are whining about like, well, do I have to redo my personal statement? <laughs> It's like, this is the shortest essay you're going to write in your life. <laughs> That's like two hours worth of work in a, in a 12 hour work day yeah. that goes seven days a week for the rest of your life. You know, mm-hmm. and you're like, you're like crying about how, Oh man, do I have to go? Am I really going to have to get new letters of recommendation? It's like, um, maybe this is not the field you think it is. I think you might be getting yourself into something you don't quite understand here. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, People who are obsessed with writing and detail. Yes. You're going to be a professional technical writer. Yep. Legal writing is legal writing is technical, technical writing. And you're just going to be a professional writer for the rest of your life, writing very technical documents, writing technical documents, paying attention to details, doing research on other documents, which is boring as hell, <laughs> and following up with people over and over and over again until you get what you want for your client. Endless formatting. You, you will become an expert in Microsoft Word. Yep. You'll be you'll be unbelievable at Microsoft Word. Like I'm talking about tables and footnotes and endnotes and table of contents shit and just all the crazy formatting and styles and stuff. You're going to be like a badass at Microsoft Word. And then you're going to use that power to write very, very dry, boring documents. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, good luck with all that. Oh boy, this has turned into a, we started off with ice cream and this has turned into a very dark episode of the show. I think, yeah, I think the, I think it's tainted me. I think that, that whatever chemicals I've ingested are just, I don't know what's wrong with you though. You had Ben and Jerry's. I did. And it made me very happy. Let's, let's do, if you have time, let's do one more email and then we'll, we'll try to keep this one on. We'll try to end on a high note. How about that? Sure. For high, that's the next email. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Hi. That's how that sounds. <laughs> Thank you. If this makes it to the podcast, please use anything but my name. 
Okay, we'll call you. Hi. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for all the wonderful pointers you provide on the Thinking LSAT podcast. I also love the explanations on strategy prep. Immensely thankful for those. Immensely, all caps. Well, you're welcome. I'm writing to you, hoping to gain some insights about my situation and the feasibility of me getting into a good JD program this fall. Okay. I'm going to apply from a country with a very shitty exchange rate. So I'm heavily dependent on scholarships, full ride. And I don't think that the tuition at U.S. law schools is under the threshold of the eligible amount for student loans here. Whoa, okay, interesting. So my goal is to go to a T14 or any school that has ample big law opportunities with a full ride. All right, well, we agree with the full ride part. This is similar to what you advocate on the podcast. I want to go to the best law school I can get into for free. Is this a feasible goal given that I score high enough on the LSAT? Uh, yeah, it's going to depend almost entirely on the LSAT. I've been reading on forums here and there that international students usually do much worse in every application cycle and the schools are biased with regards to admitting them because of possible future employment visa constraints. Hmm. I don't think that they're biased against them, are they? I think they're just not maybe doing as well on the LSAT because it's maybe English and English is a second language to them. Yeah, or I mean poor poor grades and yeah, I would some combination of poor grades, poor LSAT. And you know, we can tell here from um Hai's email that yeah. uh, he or she has some problems with the English language yeah. and that they are going to definitely discriminate against you for because lawyers are professional writers in the English language. So yep. yeah, when you create documents that look like this, I mean, we're kind of stumbling to read, read over it. It's not like it's horrible, but it's also not great. Yeah. I mean, if that's what your personal statement looks like, or if your grades, your education, your transcripts, and your LSAT score indicate that this is the type of writer you are, then yes, law schools will discriminate against you. Not because you're international, but because your English yeah. isn't good enough. Yeah. I don't, the whole visa thing seems weird to me. I mean, I, I would think that if you can graduate from law school, if you, if you go to a great law school, doesn't that automatically sort of qualify you for some sort of visa programs? I, I, I have a hard time. I, I'd, I'd have to ask, you know, like an immigration attorney, but I know immigration attorneys are getting people into the country all the time who have technical special skills. And I would sure think that high powered lawyer would be one of those skills. Yeah. But I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it could add a cloud of doubt, but I, I just, to me, it feels like a little bit of, let's try to push the blame somewhere else. Let's make an excuse for why we didn't get in. And the truth is, I don't have very good grades, and I my LSAT score sucks. Yeah. Well, I don't know that international students would necessarily, on average, have lower grades than others, but I could see them having poorer writing skills. And so, when it comes to applying to an English program or a program that depends heavily on the English language, they're not going to do as well, and that yeah. could be why. Yeah, I'm uh, okay. So here, she, uh, here she says hi. Says I'm currently scoring in the range of 168 to 170 in my practice tests. I want to score at least a 175. 
All right, you're already scoring very well, so that's good. Anyways, you have an, a goal that's high. I have a previous. I have a previous take in which a previous test in which I scored much much lower than my average. I felt sick the night before, but I pushed myself to take it anyway. Okay, well that was probably a mistake. Since the schools won't have my numeric GPA, would my multiple retakes? I'm guessing that I'll have three retakes, three takes, look bad when they look at my application? Will this lower my chances at scholarships? No. It doesn't matter how many times you take it. Your highest score is what really, really matters. So Yeah, and you are going to have an LSAC GPA, right? Don't they calculate an LSAC GPA? I Somebody sent me, Shay, I think, sent me a... Uh, a table, the the chart that they that the LSAC actually uses when they calculate your GPA. It's very complicated, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. there's if your school graded you on a zero to a hundred to a hundred scale, or if you if you're one of these schools where it has like pass and high pass and all that shit, they have a way of translating that into a zero to four point scale. Mm-hmm. And so I my hypothesis is that. Um, hi needs to upload transcripts to the credential assembly service so that uh, he or she can find out what um, find out what the LSAC GPA actually is. Yeah. Then then they can commence with the stats debating. Mm-hmm. But until then, I mean, all they have is their LSAT score. Uh, hey, you're you're talking about elite scores. You get above one seventy. I would think that that opens the doors to just about everywhere. Yeah. And scholarships are merit-based. They're, they're merit-based. It's not need-based. I don't think it has anything to do with being an international student, does it? I don't think so. All right. I'm going to guess that high is a, is a female. If my okay. personal statement may help you assess this better, I think my bachelor's evaluation may be average or above average. I have an engineering major. That's good. I have a master's degree in the U.S. GPA three point four. My master's GPA is started out with a two eight and ended with a four zero. I had a research assistantship for the last two semesters, four O's, with a professor who can write me a very good recommendation. Okay, I mean that helps. It's not great, but it helps. I also have two plus years of work experience. Doesn't matter. Thank you so much for taking the time to read my email. Any information you could provide will be very useful. Well, just get the highest L set score you can, and not worry about all this stuff. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Focus on what you can actually control and don't do so much of the stats debating. And um, yeah, less time thinking about this stuff and more time just reviewing your mistakes on the LSAT and see what happens. I would definitely apply broadly. Apply early, apply broadly. Best LSAT score you can achieve. And um, maybe let go of this idea of top 14. I, I would I would just say take the best full ride you can get. Mm-hmm. You know, just reduce the risk by by not spending the money. Yeah. Um, should we leave it there? Sure. Sounds good. Excellent. Um, that was show number one hundred forty six of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. VR. Don't pay for law school.